I don't know if uh, Nathan had read the manuscript of this sermon before I got up here or not, but right before I stood up here, he said, good luck. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if that's uh, prophetic or not, but uh, uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6 together today, and uh, it's about maturity and growing up into maturity in Christ, and uh, that's not easy to do, and we're going to need God's help in order to make that happen, so let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, you know my heart, and you know the sin that dwells there, and you know the struggles that I have, and you know the struggles and sins of these, your people, as well. And so, Father, I pray as we look at what could be a very hard text to swallow, that we would have, by your grace, by your Holy Spirit's indwelling presence, the maturity to hear from your word what you are speaking to us, and to bring ourselves into submission to it. Help us to grow up, Father. Help us to attain, as Paul writes, to the measure of the stature that belongs to Jesus. Help us not to compare ourselves among ourselves and measure ourselves by ourselves because we know that's not wise. But help us to measure up to Jesus. Fill us with your spirit that we might do that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I was blessed last week to get to just sit and enjoy taking in the word from Pastor Stephen. Uh, that's always fun for me. It's, a, it's not a privilege I get to enjoy very often where, where I get to be the guy to just sit and soak in the word. And, and uh, Stephen did a great job last week, so I appreciate him. Uh, if you get a chance to encourage uh, Stephen, I would take that opportunity because uh, uh, he needs encouragement. I need encouragement. We all need it, right? And uh, he did a good job using his gifts well. So I think I, I will confess to you, I think I gave him an easier passage last week than I have this week. Uh, this week is a passage of rebuke and warning. It's one of the strongest ones that you actually have in the book of Hebrews of rebuke and warning. It's all about moving on from being a baby Christian to being a fully mature Christian in Christ. And as I read this passage this week, uh, what immediately came to mind, believe it or not, I know this dates me some, but was an old Amy Grant song from the 1980s. This came out in 82, you know, so some of you may remember this. But the song goes like this. It's called Fat Baby. It says, this is back when Christian music was good. But anyway, <laughs> or at least when I knew more of it. But anyway, uh, it says, I know a man, maybe you know him too. You never can tell, he might even be you. He knelt at the altar and that was the end. He's saved and that's all that matters to him. His spiritual tummy, it can't take too much. One day a week he gets his spiritual lunch. On Sunday he puts on his spiritual best and gives his language a spiritual rest. But he's just a fat little baby. He wants his bottle, and he don't mean maybe. He sampled solid food once or twice, but he says doctrine leaves him cold as ice. 
He's been baptized and sanctified, redeemed by the blood, but his daily devotions are stuck in the mud. He knows his Bible, the books of the Bible, and John 3.16, and he's got the biggest King James that you've ever seen. But he's just a fat little baby. He wants his bottle, and he don't mean maybe. He sampled solid food once or twice, but he says, doctor, and leaves him cold as ice. I've always wondered if he'll grow up someday. He's mama's boy, and he likes it that way. If you happen to see him, tell him I said he'll never grow up if he never gets fed. He's just a fat, 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 fat little baby. All right. <laughs> um, Part of the reason I remember that song is because I once participated in a youth group skit with three of my high school buddies. We were all dressed as in diapers and holding bottles and acting it out. And all to this day, eternally grateful that it happened in the days before YouTube and smartphones and Facebook. Okay, there is no video that exists of this, and I am... I bless the Lord on that account, right? (laughs) But uh, it is all about growing to maturity and progressing in the faith where you are capable of passing it on to other people and making disciples like Jesus said to do. Amen? We are not simply to progress and to grow up for ourselves. We are to grow up into maturity in Christ with the idea that we might have something to pass on to other people who also need to grow to maturity in Christ along with us. Amen? Uh, You're not to be a repository for water. You're to be a pipe. You're not a cistern. You're a pipe. You're meant to carry the living water to other people. Uh, from the Lord. Amen. So if you've got your Bible, I want to read uh, beginning in chapter 5 of Hebrews, uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Well, if you want a summary of those, what those four verses are about, I've given you one as a title uh, there for that section on your outline. It's this, stop regressing in your Christian faith. The writer of Hebrews is concerned about the fact that as he looks at this little congregation of these Jewish believers, what he sees are people who are not progressing toward maturity, but are going backwards away from him. They aren't growing up and getting more mature. They're getting less mature as the days go by. And so listen to the rebuke here in verse 11. About this we have much to say. What's uh, what's the this? Well, if you want to look back, uh, Stephen explained this beautifully to us last week. 
It's about Jesus' ministry as our great high priest and the fact that he is a sympathetic priest who offered for for us a sacrifice of loud cries and tears in the days of his flesh and offered his own life as the substitute, as the Lamb of God for us. And he's going to tell them some more about that later, but he says it's hard for me to explain it to you now because you have lost the ability to take it in. In other words, he is frustrated because he's not sure that they can handle all the truth he wants to share. And the reason is, look at the text with me, you have grown, you have become dull of hearing. Meaning that this is an acquired condition. They used to be able to handle the truth, but now they can't. Listen to what Pastor Kent Hughes had to say about this. He said, truth heard but not internalized and maintained will be lost to the hearer. Truth heard but not internalized and maintained will be lost to the hearer. That is, if you don't make a habit of regularly ingesting and being transformed by solid spiritual food, you lose your capacity for it. Just as if you don't exercise regularly, you gradually over time lose both cardiovascular endurance and muscular strength, right? If you don't continue to do that, there's a lot of things I'm discovering I used to be able to do. I cannot do them anymore, right? And I, I'm, you know, I'm going to the gym, as I said last week or the week before, Um, because I'm trying to regain some of those capabilities, the ability to lift things and to run and to breathe while running and, you know, those kinds of things, right? Uh, You know, basic stuff that I have lost the ability to do, right? Because if you don't practice it regularly, you lose the ability to do it. And in the same way, if you don't make a practice of, of taking in solid stuff and having it change your life, you eventually lose the ability to take it in and use it. And so somebody can, can proclaim this massive, amazing spiritual truth to you, and it goes in one ear and out the other, and you go, I don't know what he was talking about. It was, it was all very confusing to me. Okay? He says, you've got to... You, you, by this time, ought to be teachers. But you need someone to teach you the basics again. Instead of being able to eat the steak and grilled asparagus of the faith, you need milk still. Why? Because instead of being skilled, growing skilled in their ability to handle and understand God's Word, they're like little kids trying to understand how to use the spoon and get the food in their mouth instead of up their nose or on, you know, from here to their ear or wherever, right? I used to love those little spoons that we had when the kids were little. You know, they had the curved handle so that you know, when the kid went, you know, that it went into the mouth because they haven't figured out how to turn the wrist and get it into the mouth, right? Uh, and he's saying, look, you guys are like little kids. You shouldn't be little kids. You should be able to teach other people what you know. But you don't know what things you used to know. What's happened to you? 
And look at verse 14. He says, look, how do you get skilled in taking in solid food? You practice. You practice. You know, you start out with little bits of banana, right? Some rice. You kind of work your way up from there, right? And pretty soon you get steak. And you get asparagus. And you get broccoli. And you get mashed potatoes and baked potatoes and all right and you get good stuff you get squash you get cauliflower you get grilled chicken you get great stuff right you practice and and only it's not practice eating uh food in the in the in the material sense it's practice distinguishing good from evil and i think this isn't just doctrinal by the way although it has that component it's also practical. In other words, you need to not only know the truth, you need to live the truth. And, and as you do that, then your powers of discernment, of recognizing the truth and fleeing from falsehood start to grow strong. And when you're a little kid, your skeleton is soft still, right? You know, it's made that way by God so that you can be born Uh, your your skull is soft, your bones are soft, and but over time, your skeleton, as you grow, you harden into it, right? And then you eventually you can stand, and you can run, and you can play football. You can do lots of th- lots of cool stuff, right? You have hardened into maturity, and the same process is meant to take place. Uh, as we mature in Christ, as we, as we grow and as we pass on the truth to other people, as we make disciples and teach them to understand what is right and to flee from error and from sin, then we mature and we grow, right? And as we move into chapter 6, he's going to give them some of the basic things. He's going to outline for them some of the basic things that he considers to be foundational. So in case they're confused, well, what do I not understand? In case you're confused, what do I not understand that are the basics that I need to know to be able to practice and to grow? So here's, look at verses uh, 1 through 3 here with me. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead. I'll, skip, I'll stop there. Verse 3, okay? Here's reality. Every genuine church tries to ensure that people who are new to the church understand the basics of the Christian faith so that they can move toward maturity. And th- these, these first few verses here of chapter 6 outline the basics pretty well. Um, and, it's, and it outlines them by using three pairs of theological references, three, three, three pairs of things that talk about theological concepts that are basic, that every Christian ought to know and be able to explain to someone else. And the first pair... Uh, 
importantly enough, deals with a person's salvation, or if you want to use a theological term, with their justification, with how does a person become a Christian, in other words. And it has, and he says, a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. You know what repentance from dead works are? That's turning away from your old life. Turning away from your old life. That's what he calls dead works. All the stuff that you used to do that now you have turned away from because you have turned toward Christ. Okay? And when he says of, of faith toward God... What he means is this, is that repentance and faith are two ways, of, two, two sides, if you will, of the same coin, right? That as I turn toward the Lord, I am turning away from all the other stuff that I used to do that was part of my past life, right? So I'm going this way, and I'm rebelling against God, and I'm cursing his name and I want nothing to do with him and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit of God comes into my life and I repent from that and I go whoa the way I'm going leads to hell I do not want to continue down this pathway and I repent of that and I turn around and I turn toward God and the process of doing that is called faith okay so repentance and faith are not two separate steps of putting your trust in Christ, they're the same step. Two ways of talking about the same action of turning away from your old life and toward the Lord. Okay? And as you do that, you are justified or you are uh, made right with God. You come into relationship with God. You are saved. You are born again. Pick, uh, Pick a biblical term here. Okay? They all refer to this same process of turning aside from your old life and turning toward salvation in Christ and receiving it from God, okay? Now, this next pair have to do with growth in the Christian life, or what you could call discipleship, or if you want to use a theological term, sanctification, okay? Again, pick your biblical term here. Which one do you like, all right? Uh, but these two things have to do with that process of growth and maturity. And he talks. He says that there are two of them: instruction about washing and the laying on of hands. Now, washings is plural, and it's because biblically speaking, there are two washings that every Christian is to experience. The first one is the most important, and that is the washing of the Holy Spirit that happens when you put your trust in Christ. That as you put your trust in Christ, you are cleansed in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible calls that the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That you are cleansed of sin and that you are brought uh, by the Spirit into the body of Christ. And the second washing that every Christian ought to experience is water baptism. Water baptism is what you do on the outside that symbolizes what you have done on the inside. What has happened to you on the inside by the Spirit. And uh, it is the first step in your New Testament. It is the first step. I say that again. In the New Testament, it is the first 
step in discipleship. It is the time when you publicly proclaim your faith in Christ and enact in a physical way what has happened to you in, in a spiritual way, that by the Spirit you have, been, you have been buried with Christ with all of your sin and raised to new life in Christ, that your sins have been washed from you by the blood of Christ, and that you now intend to walk in newness of life. And by the way, this is also, just as an aside, something we are doing this month. Okay, And if you have not been baptized, and you are an authentic believer in Jesus Christ, may I say to you, now is the time. Because this is meant to be the first thing that you do after you put your faith in Christ. That you testify publicly that you belong to Him. Okay? By the way, when does a person first share the gospel with someone as a believer? When they get baptized. They say, this is what happened to me. Let me tell you how I came to faith in Jesus. Okay, it's a neat system if you actually follow it. Right? You come to faith in Christ, then immediately thereafter you're baptized uh, to, to remind you and to proclaim to everybody else of what has happened to you by the Spirit. And then your very first ministry is to proclaim the gospel to other people that you know in a public way. Okay? So that you begin to walk in Christ. Um, again, if you haven't been baptized, now is the time. Get baptized. Okay, we're going to do that on Easter Sunday morning during the service. Okay, going to be a very short message because part of the message that we're going to proclaim on Easter Sunday morning is of new life, of being participants in the death and resurrection of Christ as we put our trust in Him. And some of you are going to have the opportunity to have the message to the people who are here. Amen? The other part of that pair, that second pair, is the laying on of hands. Now, in the early church, when as soon as a person got baptized, the one doing the baptism would lay hands on them after they came out of the water and would pray for them, symbolizing the fact that as a truly converted person, the Holy Spirit now dwells in them to empower them for holy living and to equip them to do ministry by the Spirit. Right Now, theologically, we know that your baptism by the Spirit and your reception of your spiritual gift by the Spirit and your empowerment for ministry and the indwelling of the Spirit, that all those things happen at the moment that you are converted. But the early church felt that it was important that you symbolize in a separate occasion what has already occurred so that you are reminded of what has happened to you and that you then walk in the power of the Spirit and minister in the power of the Spirit with the spiritual gift you have received from the Spirit. Amen? And so he says, look, so we don't, we're not going to go back and we're not going to talk to you about salvation in Christ. And we're not going to talk to you about baptism and about the laying on of hands. Because those are the basic things you should already know. 
And he gives another pair here at the end. He says, he says it has to do with eternity or with glorification or with the final judgment in the eternal state. Or it has to do with eschatology, if you, want, if you like those theological words, right? Uh, the coming of the eschaton, the coming of the last days, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. As a new believer, you'd be instructed about the fact that we who believe in Christ are awaiting the resurrection of the dead unto glory, but that there is also another resurrection of the dead unto judgment. And you want to be sure that you're at the correct one, right? The one, the one is one of reward and blessing and joy and comfort, and peace, and experiencing the love of God forever in a place in which righteousness dwells. And the other is a place of judgment, and separation, and pain, and torment forever, shut out from the presence of God and the majesty of His power. And so these six things, these, these are the basics. And he said, guys, you ought to already know this. I shouldn't have to go back and track over this ground. You ought to have been able to teach other people these things by now. They knew about salvation and discipleship and glory, or at least they should have. And from that solid foundation, you're able to grow and move on. But there's a problem verse 3, he says, we're going to move on if God permits. And what he means is, he is hoping that they are able to move on. Because their inability to move forward in maturity in Christ would say something very negative about the reality of their faith. And he's going to tell us what that negative thing is in verses 4 through 8. So read, read with me here. He says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Now, you'll notice if you read your outline headings, if you read them in sequence, that they form a sentence, a preaching statement, tell you what the text is about in summary form. And this one is about warnings and exhortations to grow to maturity in Christ so that you receive God's blessing instead of His judgment. Let me put it to you in a much pithier way uh, one that I heard a couple of weeks ago from uh, one of my former pastors 
uh, Tommy Nelson, who I still listen to on podcast. All right, he's put it this way. He said, this passage is about something very simple. Are you a moth or a cockroach? How do you know? What happens when you turn the light on and you have a moth? Right up to the light, right? (laughs) I'm not going to do that again. (laughs) Okay. Uh, how How about a cockroach? Well, they might freeze initially, right? But then pretty soon they're skittering off underneath the fridge or wherever they go, right? Back to the dark and the filth, wherever they came from, right? We lived in Texas for a while, as you know. We did not have a ground floor apartment. And the reason was, if you had one, they had these things they called water bugs. They're not water bugs. They're a giant cockroaches about this big okay and every ground floor apartment has them and i'm like that's why you wear pointy boots if you live in texas so you can kill those cockroaches in corners (laughs) all right (laughs) but here's the question when the light of god's word shines in your life do you draw near or do you run are you a moth drawn to the light or are you a cockroach that runs and hides back in the filth from which you came which is which you see Jesus and all of the apostles all recognize in their teaching that some people will make a profession of faith that they of a faith that they never actually possess they can and 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 that in their profession you can fool a lot of people you can fool members of your family you can fool your pastor you can fool your elders Uh, you can be welcomed as members of a local church and what these verses are talking about is that a person can do that and then they can enjoy some of the blessings of fellowship as part of a body of believers in a a local church. They can. They taste and they share and they enjoy some of the benefits and blessings of being among the people of God. And they are part of the visible church but they are not part of the invisible one. The invisible church is the one that matters, the one that God can see. And because their professed faith isn't the same as their possessed faith, over time that gap becomes apparent. How do you know? Because eventually they depart and they live as unbelievers. And once that happens in a definitive way, there is no way to restore them again, as the text says, to repentance. And their faith becomes something they speak about in the past tense. Now, let me be clear. I'm not talking here about believers falling into sin and living there even for a while. 
okay? Because I know there are believers who do that sometimes. Believer sin and unbeliever sin. David lived in sin, covering up his adultery for like nine months before the prophet Nathan showed up. He lived among the Philistines, pretending to be a madman for a couple of years. Was that God's plan and purpose for him? No. It is possible, obviously, for believers and unbelievers to sin, and even for believers to live there for a while. But you know how you know the difference? Believer eventually comes to his senses and goes, you know what? Everything may not have been perfect in my former life, but I didn't have to eat out of the pig trough back home. I'm going home. I'm going home. And I'm going to repent and confess my sin. And I'm going to get home. And when they come home, the Father runs to meet them because they are His. Amen? But, it is possible for a person to profess faith in Christ and then to walk away and for their faith never to show itself real. Let me give you an example. There's a New Testament scholar, a guy's name is Bart Ehrman. And Bart Ehrman made a profession of faith as a student at Moody Bible Institute. Actually, he studied at Moody Bible. He made a profession of faith through InterVarsity. Okay. Came to Christ in college at InterVarsity. Then he decided he would go to Moody Bible Institute and study, get a degree, go into the Christian ministry. And as he began to study, he went, you know what? I don't think this is true, but it's pretty interesting. And he decided to go in a completely another direction. And he now makes his living debunking the Christian faith to generations of college students and being published in best-selling books all over the Western world, saying, Christianity is a lie. The faith of my fathers is false. The Bible is not true. There's nothing of redeeming value in it. And you know, the interesting thing, you know, there's all kinds of, of, uh, of New Testament scholars and Bible scholars out there that have a similar story. They go, well, you know, I was raised in a Christian home and I grew up believing the Bible was true and I put my trust in Jesus when I was eight years old at VBS or whatever. And now they are apostates. Now they say, ah, yes, back when I was a fundamentalist and believed what the Bible said. But now we know, in all of our intelligence and scholarship, that all of that is just stories out of the ancient world. And it couldn't possibly be true because that is too wonderful to actually be reality. And when they do, and by the way, I've known, I have known people, I can tell you stories, people I have known, people I have ministered with, 
people I have prayed with and prayed for who have walked away from Jesus. And they walk away for a variety of reasons. But what they do is, according to the Scripture, they treat Christ with contempt. And because having rejected the gospel, there is no way for them to be saved from God's wrath. How do you know where your faith is real? Whether or not it's real. Well, look at verse 7 and 8. What happens with the land of your life? What happens? Does it produce fruit? Or does it produce thorns and thistles? Is there, are there crops that result from your life? Or are there weeds that come up? What is it? It says, land that drinks in the rain of God's blessing, God's grace, the truth of God's word, and produces fruit, that's the real deal. That's the genuine article. That is real faith. But land that produces thorns and thistles is good for nothing. You know what happens if you get an infestation of thistles in a field? You basically can't get rid of them. I mean, you basically cannot get rid of them. You know what the best thing to do with them is? Soak them in machine oil and set them on fire. Okay? Then they will not grow back. Okay? But apart from that, you basically can't kill them. Even pesticide won't totally get, I mean, uh, herbicide will not totally get rid of thistles. You can kill them for a while, but then those seeds will sprout and come back. You have to burn them out. And what the text is saying is this. Is that while God is very gracious to his children, you need to be certain that you are one of those. That you are his child. Because here's here's a true principle about all things all things that are alive grow. When things quit growing, it's because they are dead. Amen. Now, some of us don't always grow in the direction that we want, right? Figured out I need to be about 7'2", <laughs> right? And then my weight is right, <laughs> okay? But we don't always grow the direction that we want. But the point is, is that living things grow. Living, living faith produces fruit, amen? And if it doesn't produce fruit, heed the warning. Heed the warning here. Hear what God's Word is saying to you. And avoid God's judgment. Flee from God's judgment. Amen? Flee from God's judgment. This passage has stern warnings mixed with hope. The warnings are pretty obvious. A false profession of faith leads to regression in the faith and then departure from the faith. Amen? And that leads to judgment 
and not blessing. But, but, true faith produces growth and life and fruit and blessing as the rain of God's grace continually falls on it. Amen? And as long as you have not fallen away and departed from God and His people, you have the opportunity to experience the real thing. If you've never experienced the real thing, if you've never caught the the live strain of the virus, you've just been inoculated against it by your exposure to the things of God, today is the day. Today is the day to say in your own heart, I am going to quit messing around with Christianity and I'm going to take it full strength. I'm not going to get a sip. I'm not going to get a taste or a slice or a share of Christianity. I want the whole thing. The whole enchilada can be yours if you will put your trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. But you don't know how long you've got. So today is the day. Amen. You can experience the beauty of Christ's crucifixion for your sake and the redemption that comes from it. But today, while we got the lights on, you need to run to it instead of away from it. Because the light of God's Word is shining into your heart right now if you are hearing my voice. And you're making a decision right now as you sit here what you're going to do with it. And you need to decide, am I a moth or a cockroach? Amen? Are you going to run back to the filth of your former life and hide in the dark? Or are you going to draw near to the light and experience new life? Now, many of you, as Hebrews himself says later, he goes, we are confident of better things in your case. We'll get to that next week, okay? And I'm confident of better things for the overwhelming majority of the people in this room that they know the Lord in a real way, and He has really changed their life. And I can see the fruit. And you can see the fruit of transformed living, of people who really know Christ, who are really His children, and, who, and there is obvious fruitfulness and blessing of God in their life. But you should be, if you have moved toward the light, moving also toward maturity. Amen? So let me give you a few of the markers of maturity that you can find. You ought to be passing some of these, some mile markers along the way, so that you know that you are getting closer to maturity. Number one, let me beat this horse completely dead. Have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? For in the ministry of Jesus, all the way through Acts and the Epistles, all the way through your New Testament, baptism is treated as the first step to becoming a true disciple. Remember what Peter says at the end of his great sermon? And all, all the people who are repenting of 
what they've done to Jesus. And they ask Peter, what should we do? And he says, repent. In other words, turn away from your wickedness and toward Jesus. And be baptized. Okay? So if you've not been baptized, I'm not going to order you to. But I'm coming right up to the edge of it. Okay? (laughs) All right? Because your Bible says, get baptized. And you need to be obedient. It's the first thing on the list after you become a Christian, okay? You need to get baptized. Now is a good time. Uh, by the way, they did a wet run on our baptismal, and uh, water gets up to 82 degrees in here, so be nice, all right? There's no jets or anything, so it's not super comfortable, but, but uh, nonetheless, we, we are not going to make it uncomfortable to do, Okay? Uh, number two, can you share the gospel with other people? Are you capable of sharing the gospel with someone? And if you can, do you when the opportunity comes up? Because again, this is not advanced level Christianity. This is real obvious basic stuff. This is the last thing Jesus told us to do in the Great Commission, right? Baptizing them and teaching them all I have commanded you starts with the gospel. All right? Uh, Making disciples starts with the gospel. Uh, Number three, can you teach someone else the six basic truths that Hebrews describes in chapter 6, verse 1 to 2? As you go through that list, and I'm describing what those are, are you sitting there going, "Uh uh-huh, 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 I know exactly what he's talking about? Because you should. If you've been a believer for a while, you ought to, those things ought to be basic to you. You ought to know what those are and be able to explain them to someone else so that you can make disciples like Jesus told us to do. Amen? Uh, are you growing in maturity? By that I mean this. I know that you are not yet sinless, but you should sin less. <laughs> okay? You're not sinless, but you do sin less if you're growing up, right? Are you, are, are you growing? Are you maturing? Are you seeing change and growth in your life? You ought to be. Other people ought to comment. If you're married, your spouse ought to notice that you're not the same selfish sucker you were that she married, right? Or that he married. You, there ought to be growth in maturity. Uh, last one, what are you doing with your spiritual gift or gifts? Everybody has one. It's what the laying on of hands is, is, is a reference to, that you have received a spiritual gift from the Spirit at your conversion. And if that's true, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? It's not a decoration. You're not meant to you know, put it on a shelf like a knick-knack, right? You're meant to... It's meant, to, uh, it's meant to be used, and you're meant to serve and to grow by serving. Amen? So, these, these five things, these are some of the basic things, by the way, of maturity in Christ. Uh, and we all ought to be growing up. And by the way, let me just say this, just so, just so we're totally clear, okay? 
I'm on this list too. This is something I'm working on and growing up in. Uh, as Paul says, not that we have, not that I have attained it yet, but I press on toward the goal that I might win the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. Right? We are all pressing forward. And just because I'm the guy with pastor after his name does not mean that, oh, well, you know, I got this wired, and the rest of you just need to catch up. (laughs) Okay, I'm not as far along as some of you. I just happen to be the guy up here explaining the text. Okay? But the goal is that we all attain to the measure of the stature that belongs to Christ. Amen? And that we all grow up. And the text encourages us to all grow up together. So let's do that. Let's pray and ask God to help us. God, our Heavenly Father, we do want to grow. We want to grow up. We want to mature. We want to embrace the faith that You have graciously given to us and to walk with You in holiness and truth. Father, help us all. Help me. Help us to grow up and to mature in Christ and to minister and to make disciples who look like Jesus, as you've called us to do. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.